Hey, this is Corey Wong. If you are interested in guitar players, if you're interested in artists and how they think, why they create, what it is that motivates them to create, come check out my podcast, Wong Notes Podcast, where I get to interview some of my absolute heroes, people like John Mayer, Niall Rogers, Jacob Collier, Madison Cunningham, Benson, Vi, Santana, Satriani, Lukather, Matheny. Oh, the names are insane icons of the guitar, icons of artistry and creativity. I absolutely love sitting down with these musicians and getting to ask them about their creative process and get into the details of why they do what they do. Check it out, Wong Notes. Listen now, wherever you get podcasts. All right, we're back once again with Chasing Frets. Uh, my name is Jason Shadrick, and I'm here with Joe Gore. Hi, Jason. Hi, listeners. Really stoked about talking to my old friend, Will Bernard. Yeah, and uh, it's been such a treat to have Will on this week and go down a bunch of different pathways. And today we're going to talk about um, kind of the his, his approach to rhythm guitar and it's kind of more specifically kind of the New Orleans influence. Um, because as we mentioned before, he plays in this really great uh, trio with uh, legendary New Orleans drummer Stanton Moore. Yeah, Will's, Will's and, originally a San Francisco Bay Area guy like I am. He's been in Brooklyn at the epicenter of the New York City jazz scene for, for years and years now. But he also has a very special connection with New Orleans. And um, you know, beside playing with Stanton Moore, who as Jason previously pointed out is perhaps more than anyone else, really carrying the torch for uh, the traditions of New Orleans rhythms at the moment. Um, he knew Dr. John a bit too, and he talks about that. So um, he speaks with some authority. What's interests me about this is that uh, Will's, a, Will's a brainy guitar player. He has a very, um, he's, has a you know university music education. He reads like nobody's business um, and is the kind of guy who, isn't theoretical command of what he's doing every time he picks up the instrument. Yet at the same time, he's just really funky. You know, he, 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 there's nothing, there's nothing stiff or academic about what he does. And, um, uh, that juxt juxtaposition of like earthiness and brains is, uh, one of the things I love most about what Will does. Yeah. And, and you can hear that on his latest record. Uh, it's called freelance subversives. Uh, it's available now, and it's a it's a really kind of hip, funky, soulful band record. Uh, it's a bit the ensemble's a bigger than a trio. It could be like quartet or quintet or something, but um, a bunch of just super cool tunes. It's even fun to I was playing along with it the other day. So uh, we're gonna we're gonna get to it. Here's our uh, our final episode with with Will Bernard, and we're gonna talk all about uh, rhythm guitar and New Orleans rhythm. <laughs> And uh, again, to round out this week, uh, Will Bernard, all the way from Brooklyn, New York. How you doing, Will? Uh, pretty good. Hanging in there. <laughs> So this topic, I'm really interested in, in hearing you because probably other than maybe the TJ Kirk stuff, the first time I really came across and really started to check out your playing was the stuff with Stanton Moore and his 
trio. And, and Stan Moore seems like the the modern mayor of New Orleans style drumming. And I wanted to really kind of get your perspective and view on the kind of the, the specific type of rhythm guitar that kind of happens in New Orleans. And I know I'd asked you before, you never really lived there, but you spent quite a bit of time there. Yeah. And what was kind of uh, your entry into that kind of funky New Orleans sound in that scene? Growing up, you know, I was, I love, I, lo I think I love everything New Orleans, even though I, I didn't have like a, it wasn't like I wanted to go, I had learn it, you know, I hadn't have the, it wasn't something on my agenda to go do as a big important part of my work. But, you know, later when uh, discovering the meters, really getting into the meters, like in the 90s, when we were playing a lot of more funk, and a lot of funk type of situations, getting to go, to go see them. And, you know, the meters, Dr. John and uh, uh, like the Wild Chapatulas and some of the Indian groups were my first real uh, entry to that. So when I, uh, you know, when I heard Stanton play, I, I felt, I, first time I heard him, it was with the, the trio with Charlie Hunter and Skerrick at the Great American Music Hall. It was Stanton's first record, you know, which I really thought was a great record. And uh, so there was a point, I think I sat in with uh, Galactic at a festival because he knew about T.J. Kirk and we sort of started becoming friends then and went out to New Orleans. We had a put together band uh, called the Frequinox, which was Robert Walter from 20th Congress and some of the Galactic guys and Donald Harrison, the oil saxophone player. And then the, the trio came out of that. When we started doing the trio, Stanton pointed me in a lot of directions uh, to check out in terms of New Orleans music and, you know, those guys, the Galactic guys. And I learned a lot from uh, actually Stanton's first, first instructional video. And I learned a lot from that, you know, about different types of claves used and he seems like such an encyclopedia of that that stuff he can he can get real technical and break it down if you need to um but he seems like a real historian in that that style yeah he he really uh you know he can he can go into great detail about all the, everything you know new orleans and give you examples yeah he's a clinician you know so he's he's got that kind of brain so, you know, I would branch out and one of the people, he, you, know, so, you know, some of the other, I think I learned a lot from drummers more than guitar players because I think New Orleans is more of a drummer, piano, brass kind of a town, you know, traditionally. So <clears throat> check out a lot of drummers. I did a piece for Premier Guitar a, while, a long time ago, I think, where I took apart a Clyde Stubblefield beat and, ma and made uh, different little guitar riffs out of it. So that's kind of how I think about drummers, like uh, relating to a guitar where you have the low, medium, and high part of a drum set, and then you have the low, medium, high of the guitar. You, know, you can think about how the high strings go with a hi-hat and middle chords go more maybe with a snare and then lower the bass drum. Do you mean, do you mean do, are you talking about like playing with rhythmic polyphony and doing all those parts at once, or do you mean drawing from each of those three sources? at various times both really but um the main point is to to do one at a time like if i was playing with a drummer i would might focus into hi-hats you know and and lock up with a hi-hat pattern you know that's that's a common thing for me to try to do hi-hat and snare you know there's a project i've been wanting to do more is to just transcribe drum parts and then make guitar music out of it in the way i did for that article 
In terms of uh, polyphony, one one thing that really struck me was years ago I did an interview with Leo Nocentelli, and uh, first thing he said was, "Ask me about my layering technique." <laughs> Explain. I said, "So Leo, tell me about your." They said, "Leo, tell me about your layering technique." And then so he demonstrated, um, "Just kiss my baby," I think it was, a meter song, where you have a, uh, you can go check it out. But he has a high part, you know, and then uh, doubles the bass. So he's kind of playing the two parts, and then he'll kind of fill in the middle. So it's it's kind of that what I'm talking about, and it's kind of it's not exactly polyphonic, polyphonic. But it's kind of like uh, maybe that way Bach would think about having different lines happening at the same time uh, in different registers. You, know? you mentioned that you know it's true that you know looking at the you know four hundred year tr- history of New Orleans music, it is more of a um, you know horn, drums and and keyboard type of town. But to whatever extent there is a you know New Orleans guitar sound, it's obviously yeah. largely defined defined by Leo. And one interesting thing about his playing, especially for someone like you, who is a, you know, adventurous soloist, is his sound is so overwhelmingly dry and staccato. And uh, yeah, there's the occasional solo, but if you think of the Leo thing, it's all very, very clipped and ultra staccato and kind of hi-hat-like. And it's not really a horn or vocal sort of voice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. I think, you know, nowadays he's... He plays a lot more blistering solos, but you know, going back to the original meter stuff, it was definitely more like a rhythmic mm-hmm. concept. And just like you were saying, how you're breaking apart those drum beats to make guitar parts, you can you go back and hear that "Just Kiss My Baby" part. You can just on the guitar part, you can hear like oh, like just like you were saying, how he's kind of mimicking all the different parts of the drum set. So if you were to just solo that guitar part you could hear him bouncing back and forth between different red shirts, just like a drummer would. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, if a more famous meters example, like look a pie pie is, you mm-hmm. know, it's, it is, the riff is, and it, it's a stellar example of what Will's talking about, except, you know, just within the course of, of two bars, he's sort of got three, he's juggling three registers at once. Mm-hmm. Well, the you know the whole big part of the sound of the meters was that doubling the bass technique that they did that made it sound so fat, and I think may have influenced a lot of reggae musicians. You know, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the moral of the story is just listen to the meters as much as possible. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a lot of less known, lesser known guitar players from. New Orleans that have made impacts, you know, like Snooks Eaglin and Danny Barker and people course, like that. And of course, Dr. John started out as a guitar player. Right. And he mentioned that I'm ashamed I don't remember his name, but when I, I got to hang out with Dr. John a lot, actually, and play with him a few times. But I had lots of long conversations with him. And there was a guitar player, he said, who was his favorite. His name like, escapes me now, but. I think he plays on did he that. mention any did he mention any records that um that, it might have been the guy on gumbo and i was just i had a long conversation with kirk joseph actually last night who i play he's a sousaphone player from the dirty dozen brass band who i play with and i 
mad skill at him. I told him I was doing this interview and he pulled some names out of the hat that I didn't know. Mostly not well known, you know, in the, one, one of the guys that, uh, was it Alvin Robinson? Yeah, I think that, that might've, yeah, I think that's what it was. Just looked it mm-hmm. up. Yeah. Alvin Robinson is my favorite guitar player. Too bad he had to go die on me. <laughs> <laughs> one of the guys I love that people don't know that much is Lonnie Johnson. Who's an incredible guitar player who played. And I, I, I believe he's actually from New Orleans originally, but he he moved to Chicago and various places. Ended up playing on a Duke Ellington song, The Mooch. It also became a... Um, and his early stuff is more blues, almost ragtimey, like incredible Blind Blake kind of finger-picking stuff. Um, and he did, but he was also one of the first people to play, you know, to record a guitar solo. Yeah, you know, yeah. Single note right, solo right. on records, you know, predating Charlie Christian. Yeah, that's right, right. Um, and then he later became more of a blues guy, but I kind of think of him as a New Orleans guy. <laughs> and of course, there's all the banjo players, like uh, that played with Louis Armstrong and Andrew St. Cyr. Um, so that's a way to thing to listen to, you know, banjo players. Huh, I wonder if there's a connection between like the Leo approach, you know, the ultra staccato you know, all attack, no sustain, and banjo. Never occurred to me before, but it's, his, you know, his, on a lot of the famous meter tracks, not the blistering solos you mentioned, it is kind of a banjo-like envelope, isn't it? You know, super bright, completely mm. definitive attack, almost instant decay. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I hadn't thought of that either. That makes sense, though. And, you know, like those kind of... Uh, Guitar players that played four, you know, four-string guitar and banjo, uh, that played sort of those block chord solos, and that was—I'm sure uh, there's a lineage to that because he plays a lot of little block chord kind of riffs, you know, with chords. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, thank you so much, Will, for hanging out with us uh, all week long. Uh, I learned a whole bunch. Me too. No, I've got my—I've got my. Listening list over here. I've been writing down stuff I have to check out. Will's kind of an encyclopedia about cool under the radar <laughs> music, as you guys are too. So make sure to go check out Will's latest record, Freelance Subversive, um, anywhere you get uh, recorded music. Thanks again, Will. Yeah, thanks so much, guys. Thanks again, Joe. And uh, until we'll see you next week. Uh-huh.